the Canadian Society of Physician Leaders, I'm Pat Rich, and this is Leading the Way, the podcast for and about physician leaders. On today's show, your host, Dr. Johnny Van Arda, Executive Medical Director of CSPL, will be speaking with Dr. Lisa Richardson. Earlier this year, Lisa was appointed Associate Dean Inclusion and Diversity at the University of Toronto Temerty Faculty of Medicine. She also serves as Indigenous Health Strategy Lead at Women's College Hospital and is a powerful advocate for health equity. Over to you, Johnny. Well, thanks very much again, Pat, and uh, welcome, Lisa. Hi, John. Thanks so much for having me. Lisa, in in Brian Hodge's book, uh, Without Compassion, There Is No Healthcare, uh, you co-authored a chapter. And one of the things you do in that chapter with your co-authors is that you highlight that the construct of compassionate care was developed and defined by dominant white people. I'd like you to help us and explain for the listeners what you meant. I do feel very strongly about the role of compassion and relationships and respectful interactions as a part of all of our interactions in healthcare, both as leaders and with our patients. So I don't want to dismiss the idea. What we did want to do in that chapter was point out how this was a particular idea that comes from a very particular tradition and that often, as with many of the things that we do in healthcare, these constructs actually have been ex- exclusive. So they actually haven't included other worldviews, other ways of understanding how one relates to one another, to community, to family, to uh, the world. And you know, when we think about compassion, it's often grounded in that Judeo-Christian tradition and does have a very strong connection to that. And I think the idea for us was to say, let's explore that further and recognize how there may be actually other ways of being and seeing a similar concept from different cultures or different worldviews, different perspectives that could also be really enriching and supportive of how to build strong, respectful connections in all that we do in healthcare. So what you're talking about is is indeed uh, traditions and 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 different lenses to look at the same uh, construct and so one of the things i've been wondering is that in medicine as a profession has different lenses so one of the things i would ask is how do you connect those different lenses of healing in your practice uh, how do you see the difference between best practices based on scientifically acquired evidence, and then also wise practices, which might or might not include those scientific data. You know, I'm trained as a, as a medical doctor. I clearly support randomized controlled trials and, and evidence according to that biomedical model of, of science. But I think for me, wise practice means how do we take that evidence and work with our patient or a community and see how it's best implemented and used by them. So what will work in your particular context? And similarly, how does your own experience with this lived condition, how does your own knowledge and expertise influence how you might want to approach it? 
so that we're allowing both of those uh, ways of uh, treating and, and working with a condition to actually coexist. And in that case, it's, it's an example of shared decision-making. How do we work together to create places where those conversations, those dialogues can happen? Oh, one of the other talks that you gave last year, you talked about the healing power of being on the land. Again, looking at connections and context. And I believe it's it, it, the healing power of the land is somewhat similar to the practice of the Japanese forest bathing. Can you explain us a little bit what you meant with the healing power of being on the land? I, I certainly felt an affinity with the concept of forest bathing, which I, uh, I've only learned about recently, but I think really resonates with uh, Indigenous understandings, Anishinaabe understandings of land-based healing. It's, it has multiple dimensions to it for me, John. When I think about how to consider health in a broader way. It's about thinking about physical health, in which case being on the land and being engaged in those activities that may be traditional activities of your community, fishing practices, hunting practices, collecting, harvesting practices of berries, etc. There's an, there's an activity level there that's really important for physical health, but mental health also must be considered. So what does it mean to actually be in the natural world and feel that connectedness to all that is living around you? And how does that enhance your well-being? It certainly does. And I think that's also where there's the alignment with, with Japanese forest bathing. But when we're speaking about Indigenous peoples and land-based healing practices, I think we also need to understand the emotional and spiritual dimensions of health, which is that four-directional model of, of wellness. And, and the spirits in an Anishinaabe worldview, for example, is about recognizing that, uh, the, that everything is living and everything is connected. And so it is not a traditional uh, sort of religious approach to spirituality. It is a much deeper understanding of the way in which we are all connected. And then I think the emotional component of being on the land is the feeling of connectedness to a practice that an your ancestors have been participated in, in for thousands of years. And on a land base that your ancestors have been on for thousands of years. And that's a very difficult idea to share unless one has experienced it. And of course, I've heard of uh, many people who go back to their home territories, non-Indigenous people who feel that same connectedness, for example, to Scotland, if your ancestors are from Scotland and suddenly you're in that physical place on that land surrounded by the, that environment. And there is a spiritual and emotional connection that I think is really important. For Indigenous peoples in Canada, because of the aggressive attempts to take that away, to, to disconnect people from that land, from the history, from culture, the act of being on the land, I think, is, is extremely important and powerful. I'd like to add to your words of wisdom that even when I don't go back to where I was born and not having indigenous experiences uh, from the past, I feel so much at peace 
when I can be in a forest. And and then what we see meanwhile is that the earth is on fire. We're drowning. Uh, we're getting more and more new diseases. And so one of the things that I was reflecting on preparing for this for this interview is: Do you have any? ideas any suggestions how we bring that indigenous wisdom of respect for the land connection with the land how do we bring that back for the health of the earth and the well-being of its people i think that we need to start to document and recognize the impact of being in the natural world and in these spaces on our physical health and our mental health and our emotional health. And that to start to draw those connections around the environment that we're in and our well-being will really help to bring this awareness, I think, to our policymakers and others around why we must pay attention to climate change. Uh, clearly, that's a that's a small piece if we think about the devastation that happens with forest fires and massive flooding and all of the other impacts that will lead to displacement of communities, droughts and that will lead to food shortages and food security and all of the downstream impact of that because of the social determinants of health. That's one piece. But I think even looking at how clean air has an impact on your res respiratory status and how being in a park actually helps your mental health. If we can start to demonstrate that more broadly, I think there will be an even greater commitment to why we need to think about the well-being of the planet as it is connected to the well-being of our communities and of our individual selves. One of the things that I ask many people and that keeps me busy is that many of the roles are being redefined, including the role of physicians. I mean, it's being redefined in the moment and the pandemic is accelerating that. And if we don't get engaged in that redefinition, other people will redefine it for us. So the question is, how would you like to see the role of physicians be redefined? We need to understand that we're in a time of overwhelming volumes of information, clinical trials, guidelines, patient diaries and care experiences. And we need to be able uh, to read through information, critically understand it. So appraise it, is this, you know, is my patient represented in this clinical trial or are they not? So I think those critical appraisal skills and being able to sift through the massive volumes of information that come our way is really important in terms of our medical expertise. I think that I always talk about getting back to the bedside. We spend, and, and clearly this is even more complicated in the COVID era when we're doing a lot of virtual care, but even in the virtual context, it's there's still a, a virtual face-to-face. -face. So we still have the chance to really sit with and listen to our patients, as opposed to jumping to a conclusion, jumping to a diagnosis. Let's sort of slow down. And this does not necessarily have to take more time in the interaction with the patient. It's a mindset shift. It's about being there to work with patients who are more and more engaged and empowered. So how do we work with them to find the path to their well-being? 
to offer what we think are, you know, is the best evidence and to apply that. So that's a different skill set. It's a democratization of that relationship. Thirdly, and we alluded to this when we were talking about climate change, the era of the dispassionate physician who is completely separated from society and not accountable to the social issues that are occurring around them that are actually clearly having an impact on the on the well-being of their the health and well-being of their patients needs to change. So I I do not at all subscribe to the physician stay in your lane debate that occurred a couple of years ago. When we shift our lens as practitioners to not only understanding acute manifestations of a disease like diabetes, I'm an internist so I'm choosing that one, but actually going upstream and understanding how that's linked with food security and access to healthy food that's, a, you know, not living in a food desert and access to community centers where you can engage in sporting events, et cetera, or activities. I think we do need to see that in our purview, whereas that narrow stance that we used to take is, is no longer relevant for, for the world that we're living in now. Lisa, I am so grateful and on behalf of the Canadian Society of Physician Leaders and myself, thank you very much for spending the time with us today because I know how extremely busy you are. Thanks, John. And I also wanted to thank you for, for all of the work that you're doing around supporting um, physician leaders and leadership. I think it's it's an area that we have not been supported or trained in enough. And, you know, just as I spoke about our role in being change makers, leadership is a huge part of that. So Miigwech, thank you for all you do. That's very kind. Thank you. And we are who we are because of our members and all the physician leaders who help the system function the way it does right now. And with that, back over to you, Pat, in Ottawa. Thanks, Johnny, and thanks, Lisa. That's our show for today. We hope you are enjoying these interviews and will continue to listen to our future podcasts. Please subscribe to them through your favorite podcast platform or access them via the CSPL website at physicianleaders.ca. Until next time.